Hey, well, morning everyone. Uh, welcome to my home. I really hope you're well this morning. We're in a series in 1 John called Authentic Faith, and we're in the third week. And I want to start today by asking you a question. Who likes the word obedience? Really? You like it that much? That's kind of what I thought. Depending on who you are, your upbringing, your background, it all probably determines some of how you feel about that word. I think if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, you may struggle with that word because the idea to obey or be obedient to somebody else feels like maybe you're giving up power or freedom to another person and you don't really like that idea let alone the idea of giving it up to a God. Uh, and as for us as Christians, I think we often don't like the word because it can make us feel, well, judged at where we haven't been obedient. It makes us see and look at the gaps in our obedience, in our discipleship to Jesus. And we don't want to look at those things. We don't, even though we kind of know that they're there, they exist in our lives, we prefer to turn a blind eye to them. And I am also aware that there may be a very small, target-driven group of people who love the word. You know, give you a rule and you'll follow it to a T. Give you a goal and you will chase after it and achieve it. And I'm aware of that. But I think for the majority of us, it conjures up this thought of hard work, doing something we don't really want to do, and then maybe memories of disobedience. And that is a problem. It's a problem that we have to tackle this morning straight away because as Matt said last week, if we don't see the holiness of God as a good and even an attractive thing, we won't desire it for our lives. We won't desire to walk in the light as we've been seeing is a theme in this letter. We won't desire obedience to Jesus. So before I go any further, we need to try and redeem. We need to try and rethink our relationship with this word otherwise the truths in today's passage are just going to pass us by so what's the real reason we don't like this word i think it's rooted in the idea that we know what's best for us and doing what we want to do when we want to do it is the optimal way to live that's what true freedom looks like that's living your best life and one of the ways I think we see this play out in our culture is people, uh, it's like a non-committal culture. People don't commit to plans until the very last minute, just in case a better offer comes along. And you see this in friendships. You see this in relationships. People don't want to commit just to one person. You even see this in church life where people you know, commit to things and then back out of things last minute. To commit is sometimes seen as to, to limit yourself. And why would I want to do that? And at the heart of this cultural trend is just this idea that I want to be in charge. I'm the master of my fate. I'm not deferring to anybody. And we have to be really careful here as Christians because that cultural narrative is completely at odds with the Christian worldview. And if we don't recognise that, we'll just be swept along by it. So where our culture says... The true path to freedom is personal autonomy. You in charge. John says in this letter that embracing obedience to Jesus is the most freeing way that you can live. It's actually the life that you were made for. 
Here's John's vision for obedience in a sentence, which we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking today. Obedience isn't about some external adherence to rules that robs you of joy. Rather, obedience flows from a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Let's get into our passage today. My wife Beth's going to read it for us. You can follow along. We are in 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through to 11. Thanks Beth. Well let me give you a brief overview so that you know where we're going and then we'll dial down into some of the detail and see the implications for our lives. John gives us two external observable tests of true authentic faith. Did you see it? The first is a test of character. Look at verses three to six with me. John explores this link between knowing God and keeping his commands. That whoever claims to live, um, to be in him, sorry, must live as Jesus did. And the second is a relational test. In verses nine through to 11, where he argues that anyone who claims to walk in the light and have authentic faith, but also hates their brother or sister, is actually in darkness. See, this one is a test of love. So we've got a test of character and a test of love. And sandwiched in the middle of these two tests of authentic faith is verses seven and eight. And that is where we see the keys that enable us to live this stuff out with integrity. So let's dial down into the detail. John isn't mincing his words, is he? Verse three, it kind of hits us like a stone between the eyes. How can we know that we know God if we keep his commands? Whoever says I know him but does not um, do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John here is doing his best to underline that how we live as Christians is really important. How we conduct ourselves matters. It actually matters. And if we know God, if we are in him, if we have relationship with him, then we must live as Jesus lived. And now he's almost, I would say, uncomfortably crystal clear. And I think he's doing that because we've got to remember the backdrop that this church he's writing to it's been affected by this new gospel teaching which Matt talked about last week. This idea that really it's the spiritual that's important and that it's this kind of special, special knowledge you've got to go after. That's the important thing. And actually how we live in the physical, our lives, our character, how we treat other people, maybe our relationships, that doesn't actually matter all that much. And John is combating this lie strongly. However, we have to be careful here. We have to be careful that we don't hear what he's not saying. There's a couple of traps that people have fallen into through history when it comes to the relationship between faith and works, good works, when it comes to what we believe and how we live it out. And those, the first trap is this, it's legalism. It's this idea that if you work hard enough, if you keep his commands, if you follow the rules, then God will you know, look at your record and, and accept you. And that that's all about uh, what you can do for God, not really what he's done for you. But the second trap on the other end of the scale over here is license or living licentiously. It's this idea that because of grace, 
what Jesus has done, hey, I get to do what I want. You know, I have the license to ignore God's commands if they don't fit too well with me at the time. Sit back, relax. He's done it. He's done it all, you know. It doesn't really matter. He doesn't really mind how you live now. Both are really unhelpful distortions of God's grace. The gospel says that when we accept what Jesus has done, his grace takes a hold of our hearts in a transformative way that he actually gives us a new heart. As Ezekiel tells us, he puts a new spirit, his very own spirit inside of us. Not so we can go back to doing what we were always doing, how we were always living, but actually to empower us to live a new way. And this is so incredible. This is what's so incredible about the obedience God desires for us. God is the one who asks for it, yes. But he's also the one who makes it possible. He doesn't just stand back and say, hey, here's the standard, meet it. He meets the standard on our behalf at the cross because he knew we never could. And then he empowers us to live by his Holy Spirit through the power of his Holy Spirit to live the life he's called us to live. It's just incredible. You see, obedience flows out of a new relationship and identity with Jesus. We don't get our identity from being obedient. You see the difference? Obedience is living out our new identity in Christ, not living to achieve it. And this was a massive challenge to John's audience because he's connecting the dots between theology and practice, what we believe and how we live. And where the Gnostic teachers were trying to drive a wedge between those things, drive a wedge between the spiritual and the physical, John is doing his best to pull them back together. Verse 5, he says, If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Love for God is incomplete if it doesn't impact your character, if it doesn't impact your relationships with other people, which he comes on to talk about shortly. Love for God isn't just sentiment, it's not just words, it has practical outworking in our life. It affects the way you live and how we do things. And at this point, I imagine, I hope, you know, we're kind of maybe nodding along, maybe not everyone, but we're nodding along and we're saying, yeah, you know, that makes sense. But the problem is, what do we do with those areas of our lives where we lack obedience, where we're all too aware that we aren't actually following his commands very closely. We aren't living as Jesus did. Well, first I think we need to be honest with ourselves. We need to reflect honestly with sober judgment. Johnny's doing two things here. He's wanting in this letter to assure, to comfort true believers that they really do know him. But he's also wanting to rattle those who are too comfortable those who are too presuming of his grace. And God does this all the way through scripture. He comforts the afflicted and he afflicts the comfortable. Listen, it might feel like John is impressing on us an uncomfortable question, but where the texts ask us a question like this, we have to ask it of ourselves. Is my lack of obedience, because I don't really know him, or is there something else going on? A helpful question to ask when we're unsure or we're questioning um, ourselves in this area of life is, am I 
really desiring to live as God desires? Or is it down to a complete lack of desire to live for Jesus in those areas? Basically, do I really want to want to? I want to live that way, but I'm failing. Or do I just not really care if I'm honest? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, it's a letter he writes to a church in Corinth. And he talks about two responses when we sin to God. One is of godly sorrow and the other is worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Basically, am I repentant? Do I feel conviction and bring this area of my life to God? Or am I ignoring my conscience? I don't really care. Godly sorrow, you see, leads us quickly back to Jesus, our advocate, back to assurance, back to his forgiveness, and gives us a new resolve to live differently. Whereas worldly sorrow is more about how this sin or disobedience reflects on us and it leads us to death. Don't continue down that path. Recognise the pattern and come back to God quickly. That's what all the warnings in scripture are there for, not to make us just feel judged and in the dark, but to bring us back to God quickly. So once we've reflected honestly on the state of our repentance, which I think is a really important thing to do, how do we move forwards towards seeing real change in those areas of our, as of our lives where we're maybe struggling to obey, where maybe you, you want your love for God to be made complete, as God puts it, to flow into action? You desire to live with integrity in every area of your life, but at the moment that's not really happening. What can we do? Well, I think we need to draw straight lines from the gospel into every area of our life. Here's a little diagram. This is what I mean. The gospel, how it changes our heart, that's at the centre. But we need to draw straight lines through to, our, to how we see our money, for example, or our relationships, or how we view our, our work, or how we spend our time. It's like the gospel needs to go all the way into those areas it needs to impact them it needs to change the way we see them and the way we live and we pick up this repeated theme in this letter of what it means to walk in the light so secondly walking in the light is living in light of the gospel to live in light of something means to live in the good of it and every area of our life where maybe we struggle to walk obediently the areas where we stray into believing that our own way is best, we stray into darkness, we do so because I think at some level we haven't let the gospel, God's grace, completely into that area. We haven't drawn a straight line through. See, it's not that we're lacking the resources. I want to be really clear about that. We're not lacking the resources to live a godly life. Verse 8, the second part of it, John's really clear. He says, the truth is seen in him and in you. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It's seen in him and in you. But at some level, it's like we've blocked the transformative light of the gospel from touching those areas of our lives. Let me give you a quick example of where this applies to me recently. As this whole pandemic kicked off, I felt God prompt me and us as a family to be more generous with what we have. And over a period of probably a couple of weeks, in a variety of ways, as I spent time praying, 
reading reading the Bible in conversations with friends, it kept coming up over and over again. Just this this conviction that I felt to, to be more generous. And I chatted it through with Beth, and we decided on a figure. We decided on some extra things and places we wanted to give to. And then, if I'm honest, um, not much happened. I let distraction, I let delay stop me from actually actioning the giving. And um, next, what happened was we had an unexpected tax return. Turns out I'd been paying too much tax, and still I delayed in making it happen. It slipped down my priorities. And one night, as I was going to sleep, I lay there, and to be honest, I felt so convicted. I felt so convicted because God had been clear with me, and I had delayed. And in that area of my life, as I reflected, I had strayed, started to stray into darkness. As I reflected on what was going on, I started to see that actually I was seeing my money as my money, not God's resources for me to steward, but as mine. And it was all very subconscious and subtle, but it stopped me from being obedient where God had asked me to be obedient. It was as if, it was as if I hadn't drawn a straight line from the gospel all the way to our money, to our finances. I'd stopped short and I'd started believing other things about it. Listen, I think if I'm honest, if I'd drawn a straight line all the way through into my finances, then that what that looks like is me reflecting on the radical generosity of God's grace. If I had done that, if I had reflected on how he's my provider, on how he's never given me a reason to question his provision, I wouldn't have delayed, I wouldn't have made excuses. So listen, what about for you? Where are the places you've maybe stopped short What are the areas you need to draw some straight lines again? What are the areas in your life where you need to repent and shine the light of the gospel into clearly again? So the first test of authentic faith has to do with our character. The second is about how the gospel impacts our relationships with each other in the church. And clearly you've got to look at this and think, John and God cares about our relationships with people in and outside the church. So it's not exclusive. But I think he uses this test with those inside the church. He talks about brothers and sisters, because if we can't genuinely love those who God's put us in family with, what chance do we have with everybody else in a way? So let's have a little look. Verse 10 says, Anyone who claims to walk in the light and hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister walks in the light. How is hating or loving our brothers and sisters a test of authentic faith? Again, it's a test of whether we've drawn a straight line from the gospel all the way through into our relationships. How do we know how we're doing in this area? How do you know at the moment how you're doing? Here's a couple of kind of diagnosing questions that might help. Are you in good relationships with other Christians, especially those who aren't like you? Are you quick to reconcile with people? If you harbour hate or bitterness in your heart towards someone else, then there's probably a blockage. It's almost like the line has got crooked at some point. And let's not kid ourselves here. You know, if you're thinking, well, Rich, I don't hate them. I just can't really stand being in a room for too long with them. There's probably an issue that needs dealing with. Don't excuse it. Don't explain the feeling away. 
but reconcile. That's what John's saying, reconcile. Let the gospel impact how you see that relationship. You know, how can we, just think about this, how can we as Christians dwell on God's saving grace towards us, the guilty party? How can we celebrate that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, but he loves us in spite of how we've wronged him and in the next breath, turn to a brother or sister and justify our hatred or our ill feeling towards them because of maybe something they've done. You know, if we draw straight lines from the gospel all the way through into our relationships, even the most difficult ones, and we all have them, even the most difficult ones will change. It will change because your heart and your posture towards those people will change. It has to. Otherwise, what we're saying is this disagreement or falling out it's more powerful than God's grace. And we know it's not. So listen, as I close, how do we live out our faith authentically in every area of our life? Well, you live out our new identity. You don't try and achieve it. You live out your new identity. You don't try and achieve it. And secondly, draw straight lines from the gospel into every area of life. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you give us a new identity. It's not about us trying to live up to a standard, but Lord, you meet the standards and you empower us to live a different way. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, I thank you that um, because of the gospel, Lord, that it does change every area of our life that it touches. Lord, help us not stand in the way. Help us, Lord, not to remove the blockages, Lord. Help us to allow it to impact every single area, our character, our relationships, our money, the way we see our time. Lord, we want to live obediently in these areas. That is our desire. Help us, Lord, where we haven't, repent in a godly way to come back to you quickly, our advocate. And Lord, I just pray this week that some of what I have shared would be helpful, but above all else, Lord, I pray that we would listen to you. Lord, I pray that we would listen to you and you would reveal the areas of our lives that you desire obedience in. Lord, by the power of your spirit this week, I pray that you would be revealing to us those areas. Help us see what obedience looks like this week. In your name I pray. Amen.